Our series on Philippians today, we're in part seven of Philippians. We're going to be in the, the first part of Philippians chapter four. But before we do that, I need to let you know, um, back in the spring when we were going through, uh, we, we were making some changes during Easter and post-Easter, and we had huge crowds. And I, I made the comment to you at that time. I said, hey, we're adjusting our service times, and we're going to reevaluate our times in the fall. We're going to take a look at that and see what we need to do. And so I need to let you know, starting uh, the, the last Sunday of August, that's Labor Day weekend, we're going to adjust our service time slightly. So our 10 o'clock and 11.30 will be shifted to 9.30 and 11 a.m. So we're only moving them by half an hour. So I wanted to let you know about that. Um, when the time comes, I, I feel strongly that we're going to, we've, we've seen growth during the summer. We've seen new people coming through and churches all over the country wish they had new people coming to church during the summer. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and so I believe that we're going to continue to see growth this fall. Um, huge things are in store. I'm excited about what we have planned. And so just be ready. So I'm, I, can, I can get teary if I'm not careful, but I'm excited. Um, all right, that's all I've got for that. Let me get into the scripture today. We're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> and I want to encourage you, if you've missed any part of the series and you want to catch up, you can do that on our website uh, under the media tab. You can uh, go to iTunes and search Summit Together, and you'll be able to find our, our podcast online. There's a number of ways you can stay connected and follow up. Uh, you can also, if you want to buy the DVD or CD in the bookstore, you can do that as well if you'd like. Uh, but get caught up so you can understand the context of where we're at. But when we get into... Philippians 4, it really, Paul begins, he, he repeats a few things that he's talked about earlier, and we'll get into that in just a moment. This is what it says in verse 1. Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And the language he's using here is deeply personal. And this kind of harkens back to what I said the first week that when Paul was writing this letter, this wasn't an anonymous letter to people he didn't know. He was writing a letter to people who had been saved under his ministry, who had, he had done life with these people. So he was intimately acquainted with them and their situation, their circumstance. They had done life together. And so when he uses language like, um, my brothers whom I love and long for, he calls them his joy and his crown. That's language that I love you guys. I don't know if I would call you my joy and my crown just yet though. My, my girls, I, they're my joy and my crown. If, if I hugged one of you guys, if I said, hey, bud, you are my joy, my crown. Bud Oswald would probably be a little freaked out by that, right? They're, maybe not. But some of you would be like, that's a little much, Mel, right? But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I, I have affection for you. I love you. And not just a little bit. You are my joy. You are, you are my crowning achievement. And this is, this is the way he loves and cares for them. And he encourages them, stand firm thus in the Lord. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to show off a little bit, if that's okay. The, the next verse says, I entreat, and when you look at this, it looks like Yodia, but it's not. It's actually pronounced more like the Star Wars character, Yoda. It's Ioda, Ioda. So Yoda's in the Bible. I entreat Ioda, and I entreat Sadihi. You like how I did that? To agree in the Lord. Now, we don't know what they were disagreeing about. And this is the only time during the book of Philippians, during this letter, that he addresses them personally. So we don't know what it is. We don't know what was going on there. But Paul speaks directly to them in this letter. How would you like to, to find out that uh, you've been called out publicly you know, in front of everyone because of something that was going on? And Paul wasn't trying to shame them at all, but this is what he goes on to say. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What he's saying is they've got conflict of some kind. 
And biblically, if we've got conflict with a brother or sister in the Lord, it is our responsibility to resolve that conflict. It's, it's not our responsibility to, to um, stay mad or to air our grievances on Facebook or to pick sides or to start shooting, you know, getting people on our side. You know the verse that says you should not go to sleep with anger in your heart? There's people, if they took that verse literally, they wouldn't go to sleep for weeks on end. They'd be like, I'm not going to sleep because I got anger in my heart, right? That's not what it's saying at all. Paul's saying, if you've got a problem with your brother or sister in the Lord, you need to resolve that issue biblically. But if you can't, then somebody might need to step in and be a mediator, a third party, and say, hey, let's work through this. Because the relationship here is too important to give up because of something petty. And how many of you know, usually arguments and fights start over something petty? I don't, I don't know the last time my wife and I had an argument over something that was ma- meaningful or mattered. We don't argue over stuff like that. We argue over stuff like, where are we eating tonight? Well, I don't care. Okay, well, let's go here. Well, no, I don't want to go there. Well, you just said you don't care. And before you know it, two minutes later, like, my feelings are hurt. And why don't, I guess you don't respect me because you don't let me make a decision where we're eating. And like, wait a second, why are we fighting over this? And it's no different in the church. When we have conflict with somebody else, a brother or sister in the Lord, a lot of times it's over something that doesn't even matter. But we let it get heated and out of control. What we under, need to understand is we need to resolve that. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This was part of an old song of the church. And I love what it says because it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, it doesn't say rejoice in the Lord, especially when you're having a good day. If you're having a good day, rejoice. If you're having a bad day, meh. Right? It says rejoice in the Lord always. How many of you have ever had a really good day that you just knew the providence of God, the hand of God was on your life? Maybe there were some doors that were opened up, some things that happened. You knew God was blessing you. Raise your hand. All right, all over the room. Um, I've had, this last week I had a day like that. I had a day that I was just blessed in every way, and I was so grateful and so thankful. And do you know what the Lord told me when I was saying, God, thank you so much, you're so good. Do you know what he said? Why don't you rejoice like that on your bad days? I went, well, because they're bad, <laughs> right? Because I don't, I don't feel like rejoicing like that on my bad days when I don't feel like you've come through. When, But that, what does Scripture tell us? Scripture says rejoice always. Why? Because God doesn't change. What, hap- what changes in our life is our circumstances. <laughs> the circumstances of my life will change, but God never changes. If God is worthy of praise on my best day, he is just as worthy of praise on my worst day. When I'm blessed and things are going well in my life, God's worthy to be praised. But guess what? When I feel like things are going bad in my life, God is just as worthy to be praised because it's not about my circumstances. It's about who God is. It's about his character and nature and understanding that God is good no matter what is going on in my life, that God loves me and cares about me, and he is working all things together for good in my life if I'm submitted to him. And it's not dependent on how I feel. It's dependent on who God is. And if that's the case, then God is always worthy of my praise. There's never a moment that I should not rejoice in the Lord. That's why he reiterates it. He says, again, I will say rejoice. There's not a day that we wake up, that we have air in our lungs, that we can breathe in or out, that we should not give God praise and glory, that we should not rejoice because God is good. I like this next part. This is what it says. It says in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, we live in a world that's very politically correct. 
that you can't say certain things or act certain ways. And we almost have divorced ourselves from reality of the way some things are. You're not supposed to, if something is stupid, you're not supposed to say it's stupid. You're supposed to say, well, that's just, that's just their opinion or that's just the way they think. Or, you know, if somebody is in sin, you don't say they're in sin. You say they made unwise choices. And we have to water things down and baby things. And so when we read a verse like this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, it almost makes us think that, that we're creating this really wide path. And well, it's, it's just all about reason. It's all about our understanding. It's all about us making reasonable choices, right? Because there's things that when we look at it biblically don't make sense. And we go, well, that's not very, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem reasonable. But when we understand that God's got it in there for a reason, that his word is law, that it is not just a suggestion, but it's the way we're supposed to live our life, then we have to divorce ourselves from reason a little bit. Does that make sense? And so when we look at this verse, we have to understand what it's saying is not that we're watering anything down. It doesn't mean that we don't stand firm in what we believe. It doesn't mean that we um, don't call sin, sin. In the context of this verse, <clears throat> the word reasonableness means um, positioning ourselves in a way that seeks the good of others and not just ourselves. We're being reasonable with those around us. We don't, we're not so obstinate in what we think or feel that we don't let anyone else have an opinion. And so what he's saying here is... Um, we need to not only look out for ourselves, but we need to look out for others as well. If you want to be in a healthy community, whether it's your workplace or your home or your church or a, a softball team or whatever it is, you need to be reasonable. And that word reasonable doesn't mean that you are politically correct. It just means that you say, I'm going to look out for the good of others and not just myself. And that is a tall order. That is much harder to do in reality than it is to talk about and say. This is what it goes on to say. It says, the Lord is at hand. And this verse is kind of divided, this sentence is divided in verse 6 here. It says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I used to worry about the Lord coming back. Did anybody else, were you raised in a background where you were a little bit nervous about God, you know, the return of Jesus? I was. And the reason was because I was constantly reminded how sinful I was. <laughs> and like, not by my parents, but just like, that was kind of the way I was. Like, I just thought, oh my gosh, my, my salvation is so precarious that if I do anything, if I have a bad thought, if I say something wrong, I I'm going to be in trouble. And I've said this before, but, um, you know, I had somebody tell me one time, uh, what if Jesus comes back and you're in a movie theater? How would you like Jesus to find you in a movie theater? And I'm like, well, I don't really care if it's a good movie, like, you know. Right? Um, and so, I, but I was worried. Like, I'd get home from school, and if I didn't see my mom, I'd, you know, I'd, I had my go-to, like, who's my emergency contact in case of the rapture? Like, I'm calling my granny, because my gran if my granny's here, like, everybody's still here. God, Jesus isn't taking anybody back if he's not taking my granny, so I was going to call my granny if I needed to. Right? So... The coming of God, the second coming of Jesus was frightening to me. And this is why it was frightening to me, because it was all about the rules and regulations. It was all about me maintaining a standard that met Jesus' expectations for my life. But when I began to shift that and understand that it wasn't about rules and regulations, that it was more about my relationship with Jesus, it softened things. Instead of it being like um, the executioner is showing up, it was more like my father was showing up. When my dad comes to visit me from Oklahoma, I don't go, oh my gosh, like, oh, what am I? Hide the kids, just put them in the basement. Don't tell them where they're at, right? Like, we don't get scared. What do we do? We greet them in the driveway. We give them a big hug. We, man, we're excited to see them. 
In fact, we're so excited about seeing them, we FaceTime them. We, we talk to them, on, we do all those things because we want to stay in communication. And, and this is what Paul is saying to them. He says, the Lord is at hand. And with the knowledge that the Lord is at hand, it shouldn't frighten us, but it should excite us. It should make us enthused. It should get our blood pumping because we are going to encounter God. Not, not just in a service, not just with some goosebumps. We're going to see him face to face. And so what he's saying is, the Lord is at hand, so do not be anxious about anything. What he's saying is, put your life into perspective. When we look at our issues and our problems, and we think about how bad they are, but then we realize that the God of the universe is coming back for us as his bride. Doesn't it make things seem a little bit better? <laughs> i got to wait in the DMV for two hours. God, you hate me, right? And then it's like, well, m- maybe you don't, right? Because you're coming back for me, and you love me. Man, my kids, they're crazy, they're acting nuts, they're doing all kinds of things. But then when you realize that the God of the universe is at hand, he's coming back for you, doesn't that make your problems kind of pale in comparison? He says, do not be anxious about anything. About anything. Uh, My mom used to do this thing where she would say, um, she had these rules, and I won't go through them all with you. She's probably watching, and I'll get in trouble later. Um, but she had, one, she had these rules that she went through with me. And one of the rules was always think, what's the worst thing that can happen? And um, it wasn't like, um, hey, you, be careful because you might get in a wreck. It was like, it was imagined out to the most infinite possibility. Like, you might get in a wreck, but if you got in a wreck, you're going to end up in a ditch. And then what if somebody comes to save you, and they're going to fall in the ditch too, and then you have killed somebody else because you got in a wreck and got in a ditch, right? Like, that's... It wasn't quite like that, but sometimes that's the way I took it. I was like, oh my gosh. But it was refreshing because, and I I told some of our youth on Wednesday night, I was up there with them, but it's refreshing because um, in my mind, I always took that rule to say, what is the worst thing that can happen? Like, what is the worst outcome of the situation? I never stressed about grades in school, and that's why I graduated in the meaty part of the curve. Um, (laughs) But one of the reasons I never worried about my grades very much was because of, well, what if I make a C in a class? All right, it'll be okay. I'll still graduate. I'll still go, I'll get a job someday. I'll still be a productive member of society. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to do 48 hours straight awake studying with my toothpicks holding my eyeballs. I'm not going to do all that. Like, I'm going to have fun in college. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to work hard. But if I get a C and I've done my best, then I'm okay with that. But my wife... I tell people that she and I, our grades were very similar. We both only made one B all through college. Um, That was the highest grade I made. That was the lowest grade she ever made. (laughs) She worked really hard. But she won that outcome. But for me, I just said, you know what? What is the worst thing that's going to happen? Let's play this out to the the worst extent. Um, You know, if we do this with our lives, with our problems, the things we're worrying about, the things we have anxiety about, and we say, okay, let's play this out. What is the worst thing that's going to happen? Is my family going to leave me? They're going to say, I can't believe you would do that. Well, probably not. There might be some situations or some things you're worrying about that they would. But for the most part, no. You know, are the people in my church going to reject me? No, probably not. Am I going to lose religion? No, probably not. What's going to happen? Well, you might be embarrassed if your anxiety's played out. It might cost you some money if your anxiety's played out. It might put you in a difficult position if your anxieties are played out. But for the most part, most of our anxiety is over things that aren't really that important. So he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now the question is, how, how do we get that peace? How do, how do we attain that? Is it just by showing up to church? Is it just by wanting it more? No. I think these two passages go together. It says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Are, are you struggling with a situation that you need peace in? Well, let me tell you how to get peace in that situation. Begin to pray. And supplication is this very churchy word that we don't always understand what it means, but it sounds good when we're praying. Lord, we pray and we're Entering into supplication, we don't even know what it means. We're just saying it because it sounds like something Jesus would say. Um, what it is, let me give you an example. My daughter, Abby, has wanted a dog since she came out of the womb. Like, she has wanted a dog, and we have refused because we don't want a dog. <laughs> I wish there was something better than that. It's just we, I don't want to have to put up with a dog. So uh, we've refused, and almost every day. And am I exaggerating, babe? Um, probably every day. Since she was about three, she's asked for a dog. Daddy, when can we get a dog? Daddy, you think when we get a dog, it might look like this? Do you think we might be of this breed? Do you think? She talks about it every day. Every day. <laughs> it sounds like somebody's going to buy her a dog. Praise the Lord. <laughs> this is the thing. Sometimes we think we're bugging God when we pray. Like, I'm going to pray. God knows my heart. I'm going to stop praying. But what has happened in our situation, Abby's not bugging me. I love her. I want the best for her. And so when she continues to ask me for a dog, I'm not just going, would you please stop asking me for a dog? What she's doing is she's communicating her heart for me. I mean, to me, daddy, I really want a dog. Man, dad, I would, I would love to have a dog. Every day she's telling me about it. And it doesn't drive me crazy. We're going to get her dog, but but this is the thing. Sometimes we think God is not like that. We think God doesn't want to hear our problems. God doesn't want to hear from us. I'm going to pray once. I'm going to leave it alone. God knows my heart. But this is what God wants. God wants you to continue, to continue over and over communicating your heart to him. Because it's not about him not knowing your needs. He knows your needs. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knits you together. So he knows what you need. But it's about you communicating that to him. He wants to hear your heart. He wants you to say, God, this is what I need. This is what I'm going through. He already knows it, but he wants to connect with you in that way. He wants you to open up your heart to him that way so that he can hear from you, so that you can be connected to him. When Abby keeps telling me, I want a dog, Daddy, can I get a dog? What she's doing is she's communicating her heart to me. And God wants the same thing from you. That's what supplication is. It's not us pleading with God and like, you know, making him understand us. It's us just continuing to communicate our heart to him and helping him uh, know what, where we're at and staying in that that. that lane of communication with the Lord. So what do we do with prayer and supplication? We don't just pray once. We, we don't just pray and beg and beat the ground. God, come on. It's about letting him hear our heart. And this next part is important. It says, with thanksgiving. We don't pray that way very often. We pray what we want. God, I need this. I need a raise at work and I need it Monday or last Monday. Like, I need it right now, God. Come on. God, I need you to come through. I need you to fix my marriage. If you don't fix my marriage, God, come on. But this is the thing. Just like I said earlier, God is worthy of my praise whether he answers my prayer or not. He is worthy of my thanksgiving whether he answers my prayer or not, the way I think he should answer my prayer. Um, 
This wasn't in my notes. I'm going to share this with you, though. The, the church I moved from, I was one of the executive pastors there. And it was a pretty good situation for us. Um, I basically got to run our main campus, our main location. There were thousands of people that attended there. We had dozens and dozens of, of staff and pastors, and, and I basically oversaw that location. And my pastor, he preached on Sundays, and that was about it. And he, would, um, he wasn't in the office much, so I, I really, it was like, in a lot of ways, I was pastoring that church. I just had to preach every Sunday. So he came, came to me one day, and he said, hey, I need to visit with you. I think I want to be more involved in the church. I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, these are the things I'd like to start doing. And he started naming this list of things. And I said, Pastor, that sounds like my job. Well, that's, that's weird. And, you know, what does that mean? He said, well, I don't really know. Let's just pray about it. And as we began to pray about it and seek God, we knew that it was probably time for us to begin looking for a, another church. But the thing was, I didn't want to. I was happy where I was at. I, I enjoyed where I was at. And I prayed, God, fix this situation. My, my sister and her family were in our church. I had friends in that church. It was a great church. And I was praying, God, fix the situation. Help me out. God, do make this right. You know, change hearts, do something. I don't know. Like, let's re reconcile this thing. But it didn't happen. And I wondered, I, God, what is the deal? God's sense of humor brings me to Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm a Southern boy. I like barbecue. All right. I like Mexican food. It brings me to Pennsylvania. And we're happy. We love it. I'm so grateful that he did. Amen. It's beyond my wildest dreams. But listen, um, I, I've shared this with a few people, but my senior pastor that was there, um, a couple months ago, he confessed to the staff that he'd been having an ongoing affair with a woman who wasn't his wife. Now listen, I got phone calls from people that said, if you were only still here, you'd be the pastor of the church. And I told them, I am a pastor of a church. I'm a pastor of a good church. And some people would look at that and said, man, you missed your opportunity. And I think God knew what he was doing. God knew his timing perfectly. He moved me out of a situation that would have been difficult, hard, maybe impossible for me to walk through to a situation that he knew better than I did. So we can pray and we can fast and we can intercede and we can pray with supplication and we might not get our, answer, our, our prayer answered the way we want it to. But you know what? God might answer your prayer better than you wanted it to. How do you have peace? You pray. You pray with supplication. You pray with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. When I was younger, I used to drive quickly. <laughs> I didn't speed. I drove quickly. Um, I used to think everything was a race, and so I wanted to make good time. I knew when I went certain places how long it took me to get there, and I wanted to make better time. It was this male macho pride thing, and I don't, I don't know where I keep the list at, but I've, somewhere in my mind I had this list of good times and how, you know, how fast I could get places. And I realized at some point I don't have the money to drive quickly anymore. It's too expensive when you start paying tickets and fines and insurance. So I just stopped. I just said I can't do it. And honestly, I'm not to spiritualize it. I just realized I was being a horrible steward of God's money in my life because he was giving me money uh, and, and I was spending it on stupid things like speeding tickets. So I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start driving better. I'm not going to do that anymore. And you know what happened? It was so nice to be able to drive down the highway 
and not have to be on the lookout for a highway patrol or a state trooper or st- state, uh, right? Like, I never have to look at my rearview mirror on the on-ramp to see if somebody was getting on behind me. I never had to look up on the hill. I never had to watch the brake lights in front of me to make sure, like, oh, they're tapping the brakes. Maybe there's, you know, you know and the guy flips his lights at you to tell you there's a speed trap. I didn't have to worry. Like, I'm good, bro. Why? Because I understood that the law wasn't my enemy. The law was there to protect me to keep me from getting in a wreck and ending up in a ditch and somebody else goes to help me and they end up dead, right? (laughs) The law was there to protect me and to help me. And when I understood that and I began applying that to my life and going, you know what, I'm not gonna worry about making great time. I'm gonna get there when I get there and I'm not gonna get a ticket. It freed me, it didn't limit me, it freed me. And this is what this passage is saying. The psalmist is saying to us, when we understand God's laws and God's precepts for our lives and we apply that to our lives, not in a way that limits us, but in a way that frees us, it liberates us. We come alive in that. And when we do, we don't have to worry about the law anymore. We don't have to worry about, I've gotta be good enough to get to heaven because then it really does function like relationship. Because we know God, we know his heart, we know his precepts, his laws, his rules for our lives, and we apply that, and it frees us, it liberates us. We don't have to be looking for the state trooper in our rearview mirror anymore. This is what it says in Philippians 4, 4, 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any thing worthy of praise. Think about these things. I love this because Paul's giving them a filter for all their thoughts. This is the way you need to think. If you think a way that's not like this, you need to change your thinking. That's what he's saying. Well, no, that's easier said than done. It absolutely is. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, when I was younger, I used to think that this passage was dealing with spiritual warfare, and and it is, but it's different than what I thought because I was imagining angels and demons with like swords, flaming swords, and they're like, clashing and you know they've got like chain mail and I don't know what it was but you know the demons are black and they've all got goatees because if you're evil you probably got a goatee right and so um, I used to have a goatee so I can say that Um, and so this is what I'm envisioning in my mind the spiritual warfare but uh, let me let me demystify this for you this is not what it's talking about he says for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds what are the strongholds the strongholds are the strongholds every one of us have in our minds. It's the stronghold that says, you're not good enough. It's the stronghold that says, how could Jesus really love you after all you've done? It's a stronghold when your parents said, you were a mistake. It's a stronghold that says, you can never do what God's called you to do. It's a stronghold that says, um, does God really love you? It's a stronghold that says, you don't belong here. It's a stronghold that says, you're a failure. Stronghold that says you'll never overcome this problem you're dealing with. The stronghold that says your family is always going to look like this and always going to be this way. Those are the strongholds that we deal with. And how do we overcome those strongholds? Well, we overcome those strongholds with divine weapons and warfare. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what do we have to do? We have to take those thoughts captive and say, I'm not going to think that way anymore. 
what, what, how am I going to think? Well, you know what? This is how I'm going to think. I'm going to think about the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. And if there's anything that's excellent or worthy of praise, those are the things I'm going to think about. And I honestly think through this scripture when I catch myself thinking something about somebody I shouldn't. When I have a moment where I'm a little frustrated with somebody, I have to stop myself and go, okay, wait, does this glorify God? Is this what Philippians 4, 8 is talking about? No, probably not. And I take captive that thought and go, okay, I'm not going to let myself think that anymore. I'm not going to let myself go there anymore. Do you want to tear down strongholds in your life? It begins with your mind. It begins with the way you think. It begins with the things you're in agreement on. Because we cannot defeat an enemy that we're in agreement with. Let me say that one more time. We cannot defeat an enemy we are in agreement with. If you had a bully in the schoolyard comes up and says, hey, give me your lunch money. Okay, okay, here you go, right? Well, he just won. Why? Because you agreed with him. I agree, I need to give you my lunch money, right? And this is what the enemy does to us. He comes to us and he's a bully. And he says, no, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not blessed enough. And we go, you know what? You're probably right. Here's my lunch money. God doesn't want you to do that anymore. God wants you to tear down those strongholds. And it begins with the way you think. It begins with you thinking the way God wants you to think and saying, I'm going to believe what God wants me to believe because I am who God called me to be. And begin living that way. Philippians 4.9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Don't you love that? Uh, it drives me crazy when doctors say they practice medicine. That makes me a little nervous. Doesn't it make you nervous? I'm like, well, we're practicing. I don't know. We'll figure this thing out, I guess. <laughs> Have you ever seen when you go in for like knee surgery and they mark your leg to make sure they don't get the wrong leg? Like, not sure about that. That makes me a little nervous. They're practicing medicine though. This is the thing about our Christian walk. It's not about being perfect. It's about us practicing. It's about us saying, you know what? I'm gonna take the things I know and to take the things I see and I'm gonna apply them to my life and I'm gonna do the best I can and I'm not gonna be perfect. I'm not gonna be a pro at this, but I'm gonna practice this and do my best to get it right. Because it's not about perfection. It's about making God known and glorified. The last part of that says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What does it say? It says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. A little earlier in that passage, it says the peace of God that passes all understanding will be with you. But then God flips it and he says, when you practice the things that he is calling us to, the living that he's calling us to, when we put those things into practice, what happens? The God of peace shows up on the scene in our lives. He doesn't just send you what you need. He shows up to give you exactly what you need, to be what you need in your presence right there with you. See, some of you think you need peace. I don't think you need peace. I think you need the God of peace to show up in your life. <laughs> some of you think you need God to just give you peace for your situation. No, 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 no. You need the God of peace to show up in your situation in the midst of that and walk you through that. I don't know about you, when I'm dealing with things, I don't want God just to help me. I want God to show up and scoop me up in his arms and walk me through my problem. And that's what God wants to do. But it begins with us. It begins with our thinking. It begins with us saying, what do I need to do to have that peace in my life? And applying that. Because it's not just about wanting it bad enough. It's about us saying, you know what, God? I'm going to do what I need to do to see that peace flow in my life. To experience that peace. To have what you're calling me to have. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much. I'm so grateful 
I'm so thankful that even on our worst days, even when we're struggling, even when things to be going, st- seem to be going wrong, I thank you that you are still God and you are still in control and you are still sovereign. You are still on the throne. You are still powerful and you're worthy of all praise. So Lord, today we're not gonna hold anything back from you. We're gonna give you everything. God, I'm not gonna keep nursing my worries and my anxiety and my fear. I'm gonna give it up to you today. I'm gonna trade you my anxiety and fear. I'm gonna receive peace in return for that. And Lord, I thank you that you're not just gonna give us peace. You're gonna show up and be the God of peace to us today. God, I pray for people right now who have brought anxiety and worry and fear into this place. And I pray they'd be released of it in the name of Jesus right now. The Lord, you begin to minister and intercede in their situation. People are worried about marriages. They're worried about their finances. Lord, people in this place are worried about their children. Lord, they're worried about their future, their jobs. Lord, I pray right now that you'd release them of worry and fear and anxiety and let your peace reign in their situation right now. Lord, we're gonna release them of strongholds. The the devil has no authority in this place. You are God, and we submit every one of our fears and anxieties to you today. Lord, I pray for every person that's here that you would just release them and bless them and minister in them. Lord, let them think the way that you would want us to think. Lord, let us replace, Lord, our stronghold thinking with your thinking that will free us and liberate us. Let us live a life that you've dreamed for us to live. Now, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not really a Christian, but I need to be. I need to get in right relationship with Jesus today because it's not about rules, it's about relationship. And today I know that. And I want to begin or restart a relationship with him. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, pray for me, Mel. I need to restart or, or start a relationship with Jesus today. I need to get some things right. Okay. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. But man, I struggle with fear. I struggle with anxiety. And I don't just need peace, but I need the God of peace to show up in my situation. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up all over this room. Oh, yeah. I'm going to pray one more time for you. And I just want you to agree with me in prayer. And when I finish, we're going to stand. We're going to sing one more song. We'll be dismissed in just a moment. Well, let's pray together. Well, God, thank you so much. Lord, I, I look across this room and I see hands raised all over this place. And I know, Father, that this, these aren't just people that are raising their hands. Lord, these are opportunities for you to move and minister and to show yourself mighty in these areas. So Lord, I pray right now for every person that raised their hand that you would show up, that Lord, you'd reveal yourself. Lord, that maybe you would answer their prayer, but not in the way they think you're going to. But God, I pray that you would give them the peace to know that you are there. Lord, I pray that they would pray with all prayer and supplication and they would give you thanks, Lord, in the midst of their anxiety. Lord, they would know that you are with them and that you're gonna minister through them, that you're gonna take these situations that seem desperate and hopeless and you're gonna turn it for good and you're gonna be glorified through it. So Lord, I pray for every hand that was raised. I pray for every mother that's, that's worried about a, a son or a child. God, I pray for every marriage in this place. Lord, I pray for finances in this place. Lord, I pray for opportunities to be opened up and doors to be opened. I pray that more than anything else, God, you'd be glorified here and that the God of peace would show up in these hearts, in these homes, and you would change situations, Lord. More than that, change hearts. Change our hearts. Let us trust you more. Have your way with us, God. I love you and I thank you. I can't wait to see what you do. I can't wait to hear the stories that are told from this day and how you've changed hearts and how you've changed people. We're going to give you the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.